Welcome to the Vital Voices podcast, where women leaders and allies in the fight for gender equality talk about their journeys, their drive, and how we can all support a gender equal future. I'm your host, Elise Nelson. Each year, Vital Voices partners with several amazing organizations, including Arizona State University and the United Nations Foundation, as well as corporations like P&G, among many others, to host the We Empower UN Sustainable Development Goals Challenge. The global business competition searches the world for women who are using their businesses, their enterprises, to advance one or more of the UN Global Sustainable Development Goals and really changing the world for the better with their business. As we gathered for a whirlwind week in New York City, I had the chance to sit down with several of the We Empower Challenge honorees and discuss their leadership journey and how they feel their business is impacting their community and our world for the better. This International Day of the Girl, I wanted to share with you my conversation with an incredibly inspiring young entrepreneur. She's the We Empower honoree from Rwanda Christelle Quizera. She's just 25 years old, but she's so accomplished. She's a mechanical engineer, entrepreneur, and she's really using her power to empower communities and young people across Rwanda. She's sure to be an inspiration to girls of all ages everywhere. Listen in. We're gathered here to talk about how far we've come in the four years since governments around the world signed on to the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Vital Voices in partnership with a slew of incredible organizations, about two dozen of them, launched something last year called the We Empower Challenge. I'm sitting down with a woman who is part of our second cohort of the five honorees that are selected from among their peers, women who are using their businesses to drive change around the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So I'm so thrilled to be here with Christelle Quizera. Christelle, how are you? I'm good. Yeah. You are from Rwanda, and it's amazing to me. You are 25 years old. Yeah. I'm sorry that I that I am harping on your youth, but the reason why is it's just it's just incredible what you've been able to create um, in at such a young age. Uh, and extremely impressive, I think, for those listening. So you are a mechanical engineer, you're a social entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. and clearly, from what I've seen of you this week, a great leader. Uh, Your organization, Water Access Rwanda, is a highly awarded enterprise dedicated to providing clean water access to, what, over 100,000 people in Rwanda? It's very impressive. And recently, you were named a Woman Entrepreneur of the Year in Paris by INCO, uh, with support from the Chanel Foundation. Wow. Um, so I can, I can go on and on about you and all your incredible um, achievements, but I think it would be so interesting for our listeners to hear about how you started Water mm. Access Rwanda. Yeah. Um, so Water Access Rwanda really came out of two desires I had. The very first desire, it's something I'd seen about two years prior to founding the company, I noticed that young people uh, my age, my age mates, were going without employment for a really long time after getting their degrees. Without employment. Without employment. There were no jobs. And even those who had jobs, there were no jobs they felt excited about. The job market was pretty much close to them. 
and there was this push that young people should start their own enterprises. But unfortunately, many didn't have the tools to be entrepreneurial. Like they didn't have skill set, hands-on skills. They were basically grown, like um, they went to a, through a system at school that told them you're going to be an employee. And unfortunately, when they graduated, there was no employment for them. So I noticed a huge difference between how I perceived the word in my work and how they were thinking about the word. Mm. And some of them, friends I grew up with, respected great values, had unfortunately given in to drugs, partying mm. really hard, staying in bars all nights from Monday to Sunday. And I realized this was a huge issue. So I wanted to do something to provide employment. I didn't know what that thing was going to be. So in 2014, um, I had read a lot about communities in my country that were living near by crocodile-infested lakes. Um, so what happens is there is a big river in my country called Akajera, which can sustain crocodile life. But sometimes in the rain season, the water rises and these crocodiles migrate to nearby lakes that cannot sustain their life. So they start killing animals nearby the lakes and people as well. So I was reading in the news about these different people dying when they were going to fetch water and do different water activities like doing laundry, washing at the riverbanks, and then um, the crocodiles, you know, get at them and kill them. So I did a water project supported by my university and many, many other donors. So I was going to school in Oklahoma City. And for me, this was just a summer project. And I went home with some dollars, some tools, and we were going to drill boreholes and establish water points so that these communities no longer had to go to the lake for water. But the biggest part of that work was really the young people we trained and who worked with me. I noticed a complete change. And actually, one of my friends was involved in the project. And after like three weeks on the project site, he returned home in Kigali, in the city, and he called me crying, saying that people had missed him because he had been so around doing nothing that people no longer appreciated his presence. So I just saw many of these young people involved in the work we were doing, being seen as heroes from our own people in Rwanda and stepping up to owning that role as people who can actually bring solutions in our own landscape. And I'm like, this work has to continue. So I saw really combining these two big issues, youth unemployment and the water crisis, as actually an opportunity. So we have many young people waiting for employment, a good uh, cause to rally behind, and also a huge amount of people without access to water. So I knew there were willing people like government, donors, and other infrastructure investors who wanted to see uh, more water points created. And I wanted to equip young people to be able to do that. So that's how I founded the company. And now it's five years later, we employ 60 people. The average age of our company is 29 years old. So we stay young, we hire more young people, we keep training them to make sure that we're really fulfilling our original mission. And our target, actually, I think by the end of next year, we're going to have more than 200 young people employed with us. Wow. Talk about what you do. So what we do is we offer many, many services around finding where water is, collecting it, uh, and then treating water and distributing water. So... That look, there is a bunch of technologies involved in that. There is a bunch of services. But um, 
basically we do geophysics to find where groundwater is and then we drill for that water. So sometimes going uh, between 20 meters deep to 100 or 200 meters deep to find groundwater. And then we install pumps that are powered by solar energy to pump that water up to the surface. And once it's at the surface, we purify it, removing any contaminants, whether it's hard metals, bacteria, or just sediment, so it looks good and acceptable. And then uh, that water is sold to the community that we're targeting and servicing at a very simple price. So it's about one penny every 10 liters. And this is water that is clean, purified, ready to drink, same as you would buy as bottled water, but way, way cheaper. And communities can actually pull a pipeline to have water in their homes. Um, And what's innovative about that is it's actually we're creating water microgrids feeding from groundwater, something that unfortunately people are not doing. So what you find is that in rural Africa, many donors who are trying to address this crisis actually invest in a solution that is not permanent, which is hand pumps. So they go, the whole work of drilling happens, which is actually the most costly part of all this work. So you drill a nice deep borehole, but then you put a hand pump on it. That hand pump is probably going to get broken in six months. And usually communities don't have the money to repair it because nobody's collecting user fees to be able to repair that hand pump. And sometimes communities abandon it and go back to fetching from the rivers and the lakes mm-hmm. um, because they don't see value in that infrastructure. But what we're doing with Inuma, which is our water, the name we give to our water microgrid, is we make sure they access that water in a convenient way. And by using so much tech, but downsized to like a microgrid level, um, they see more value in the water. We actually mm. see that men also come to fetch from Inuma water because for them, it's no longer a burdensome work to leave to the women. So mm. they see fetching at Inuma, it's a smart, it's aspirational. So we're creating a brand that they feel like, oh, this is not just a nonprofit project coming to help us. They're not victims needing to be helped, but rather mm. we see them as customers that's dignifying this exchange where we want them to have better health, better well-being, but they're our customers. So that means we need to listen to them and so we can get their money. But on the other hand, they're getting really nice life-giving water. So in a way, this is not just about water. It's also about building community. Can you talk a bit about that? Absolutely. It's about creating shared value. Um, Water is a shared resource. How we use it will affect everybody, how we exploit it will affect everybody. And one thing that communities sometimes say, and I love having this discussion with members of the community, is that, oh, why are you sending us the water? It's free. And I'm like, well, the pumps and filters are not. (laughs) Mm. And I'm like, water is free, but to protect it, to get it in a way that's convenient, that is aspirational, that Mm. service is not free, but rather an opportunity to create employment for their youth. So mothers are fetching from a water point where their sons are working. Mm -hmm. So they see this is growth, this is development work. Um, So how we build communities. So first of all, water is a central infrastructure in their communities. They stop by the water point almost daily or multiple times every day because water is a basic necessity of life. And we're using that central water point to bring more opportunities in the community. So we do wash training as well because if you have clean water but you don't have a toilet, 
you don't wash your hands after going to the toilet, you're going to recontaminate mm. that water. So we're doing a lot of behavioral change as well. Education. A lot of education, mm. yes. Um, and we're also realizing opportunities to reach the community even more, sometimes through corporate partnerships, um, airing nice messages around our water points, messages that uh, thousands of people are going to see every day when they come to get their water. Uh, but also we're trying to see how we can offer many other services at the water point, such as making soap available at the kiosk, hand washing stations, uh, selling fast moving consumer goods that they never get until they walk to go to markets, which are usually located in the city. And they have to go really far for that. But also looking at the young people that sometimes have to line up waiting to get water. And that's time they could be reading a book, for example. So we're actually soon launching yeah. something we call the Water Library. So there is a mm. lot with the community because water is so deep in the heart. It unlocks so many things. It liberates time for women because they're the ones who always have to fetch water. Kids are always the ones fetching water. So by making that time free, we give them back time they can use any way they want. Mm go to the market even more, concentrate more on studies for the kids, have more playtime between parents and children. So there's so much that we unlock by just making sure that water is nearby to them. They don't have to walk a long way. They don't have to suffer um, bone issues like having their backs because they used to carry these yeah. pounds mm -hmm. on their head every day. I, I was yeah. so surprised to hear that the problem is as bad as it is. I mean, 40 billion hours a year women spend collecting water. Yep. Um, and, and if you're able to even cut that time in half, that's, mm. that's incredible. Yeah. So talk about the SDGs, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Your um, business is obviously tackling a number of them. But why is it important for all businesses, not just social enterprises, but all businesses to be thinking about how they can advance the United Nations global goals yeah um so we're tackling a bunch of sdgs uh, not tackling actually contributing <laughs> to a bunch of sdgs sometimes you forget that the sdgs are solutions not <laughs> issues um but it's so important for businesses because you can't be a successful business in a failed society it's just impossible Basically, if society is failing around you, you're losing business because businesses depend on customers. They depend on thriving communities. If your community is thriving, your customers are thriving, you're going to thrive as a business. So businesses need to invest in building communities because those are the future customers. Um, and for us, I would say working in water, water is already a shared value. So there's no other way we should be using it except to create shared gain. Uh, but for example, let's say I go in a community and I charge them an amount that is uh, too high for them to pay, then I'm going to make them poor and then I'm not going to have anybody to buy my water. Mm. And if they don't buy my water, they only access unclean water in the valleys. They're going to be sick. You know, um, Basically, if we don't reinvest in our communities as businesses, we're losing customers. We're not building sustainable businesses. Mm. Wow, I looked. I wish that everyone looked at it the way you do. <laughs> Thank you so much, um, Christelle, for your extraordinary work and for joining us this week. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's been very rewarding. Thanks for listening to the Vital Voices podcast. If you've enjoyed what you heard today, consider supporting us so that we can continue to use our platform to empower global women leaders and their allies. 
You can donate today by texting V-I-T-A-L, that's VITAL, to 41444. That's VITAL to 41444. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for tuning in.